What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Never Made Varsity. My name's Colby. You can find me on Twitter at writingbycolby and also on popcultures.com. What's up, everybody? It is David Rivero. Uh, I I am not looking forward to this week, <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at dearrivero1222. Not a great start to the week, to be sure. It's your boy Maverick. You can find me on social media at heartbreak underscore underscore kid. And I'm Aaron, and you can find me on Twitter at Aaron P. Friedman. How are we doing, team? I'm alive. Not great, Bob. <laughs> I'm in Spain without the S. At least we have our health. Throwing it back to an old Todd reference. I'm not going to whether we have our health. Yeah, checks, checks notes for 2020. Um, never mind. <laughs> That's why I knocked on wood. Yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> <laughs> it is probably going to be a week. It started with the hurricane thing on Thursday. We were out of school on Thursday because of all the, the high winds in the area. And then just it's just like slowly descended into just ah, screw it territory. <laughs> yeah. The, the busiest 10 weeks of my work are coming up starting this Friday all the way till the first week of January. I won't be able to have any time off in that time frame. It's going to be going to be a marathon yep uh on thursday for us we had wi-fi going in and out at work so i was like trying to get into a groove i was i'm in the office like a couple days a week and that's one of my office days and i was trying to get in the groove and then the wi-fi would cut out so i just had to sit there and stare at my computer for five minutes it's terribly frustrating (laughs) but yeah aaron i'm glad you had a good week thanks (laughs) before we talk about sports there's something i want to mention um i think i'm cursing teams with my just like we drew it up (laughs) i i think i i've started cursing people and i am sorry for all the teams and people that i've cursed so far let me start at the beginning first week week one mitch trubisky benched uh week two Dak Prescott uh his leg exploded week three Mike Leach Mississippi State hasn't won a game since I wrote about (laughs) (laughs) um and then I did Charlotte is cursed um it still is uh bolt up edition the Chargers have been blowing fourth quarter leads since I wrote about them uh the Titans Mav I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I haven't won a game since you wrote the article. <laughs> and then I read about the Niners and they lost this week. I am so sorry. I need to start picking my <laughs> write about more carefully. Not so willy-nilly. But, um, yeah, I just want to ap- put a blanket apology for all the stuff that I've been writing about. Apology not accepted. <laughs> <laughs> But before we get to that, let's talk about Carolina UVA, South Florida's rivalry. That was a game that happened. In Spain without the S. <laughs> Again, I just, I don't, I even, did I not say, did I not put it in the chat? Y'all as my witness, I put in the chat, in the group me, I said, this is giving me Baylor vibes. And lo and behold, <laughs> it literally, Literally, was the same. 
like not not exactly the same, but quarterback that can throw. You got can't stop the run game. They're gonna run for ten million yards. Like no semblance of defense whatsoever. But one one thing that was very crazy because you tweeted it and I thought it to myself in the exact same moment. It that Virginia. It was the same way last year when they had Bryce Perkins. Uh, when they absolutely shredded us, and it was a death by a thousand cuts offense. So it's nothing flashy, it's nothing over the top, but it's just these four yard gains, four yard gains, first down, three yard gains, five yard gains. Yeah, five, six yard gains. When it's second and short, and you're gaining five, six, seven yards on first down, it makes your whole your whole set easier. Your whole set, like when you're you know. And, and the difference was when we were having our first downs, like those first couple drives, like we were putting ourselves in the hole, we were like five yard loss, three yard loss, two yard loss. Like we'll start these drives with these losses and first and like credit to Sam Howell and Phil Longo, like they would convert them a lot of the times, but that's not a recipe for success. There's obviously other issues too, but like the fact that one, we couldn't get any pressure on their quarterback until late. And when we did, we had stupid penalties that negated said pressure. Um, and we just we just couldn't get penetration, and we were in pass sets on defense so often mm-hmm. that our linebackers were out of position to make any plays on the run. And by the time that we figured it out, it just was too late. Like it was yeah. too late. Try to better divide this up. We let's start like we could start off with the offense first, and then we can transition to defense. There's probably a lot more to talk defensively, uh, but there's definitely some things to touch on offensively. I would say as well. And then I think we can get potentially into a bigger conversation about <laughs> the, the core issues that are becoming more and more apparent, I think, uh, with the team. So we did lose 44 to 41. We, it's kind of crazy that Sam Howell threw for, what, 340 yards, three touchdowns. He had like 400 and, yards. Yeah, yeah, 430 yards. Excuse me, I have to flip those and still lost the game. One so, of mean, the we, best games of his career. Yeah. Deami Brown had the best game of his career. It was over 240 yards pat, uh, catching and three and touchdowns. Like, we score 41 on a team that hasn't scored more than 23 all season. Like, that should have been enough. Yeah, that would, that's going to beat most teams by far. And, we like, especially we start with the first drive. I mean, just instant strike to Deami to score. I, I, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it happens every game except for Florida State that we've scored on the first drive. So I thought it started good, but this offense. Then, then you look at our defense. This, well, yeah. this offense is ranked fifth in the nation in yards per game, fifteenth in the nation in points per game. Like that should be. We should be six and zero. Oh. We should mm-hmm. be six zero, oh. but yeah. we keep losing these games that we should be winning. Yeah, I mean the offense. There's really not much to say about it. There were, I think, the big thing that will be talked about this game is overall just play calling. I think the biggest thing to talk about is the drive to end the first half. Uh, we uh, Virginia goes and scores, and then we march down, have a really successful drive going all the way to the red zone, and then it's third down with about, what, 12 seconds to go, and we throw a little swing pass to Daz Newsom. He's behind the line and drops the ball, making it effectively a fumble, and so the time runs out that we are down seven, and with Virginia getting the ball back at half. And it was just a very confusing play call, I would say, from, I'm assuming, I guess, Phil Longo will probably be the, the main person in this case, or it could even be Mac. 
I'm just not sure what kind of position he was trying to put the players in to be able to, like, let's say Das catches that ball. Uh, I'm not sure he's getting anywhere near the goal line or out of bounds, so the time's going to run out anyways. Yeah, it's a, it was a confusing play call. I don't know. This, the stuff I want to say about the coordinators is probably more suited yeah. for like the bigger picture yeah. conversation. So I'll save that. But um, yeah. I, 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 as I was sitting at uh, at my friend's house in the backyard watching this game, I was as soon as we got like that first and goal, I told him I was like, I don't know what's about to happen, but I know it's going to make me mad. <laughs> um, and it, it 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 made me mad. To now me, I think. To oh, go ahead. To be fair to Falongo, scoring 41 points should have been enough. Yeah. yeah. Have mm-hmm. been enough. If there's on the tiers of coaches that I'm mad at, as much as that first half play frustrated the living hell out of me, that's he is lower on the list of the, like yeah. scoring 41 points. Like for most of the game, the play calling was fine. I don't know why he decides to just like fumble the bag every time in the red zone, but like, uh, but like between the tw- like 20 to 20, Fantastic. Like that last play, I even tweeted out, I would have even accepted a run up the middle with Javante Williams more than a swing pass. Like, I'm just saying, like you put it in the hands of your best running back. I wouldn't. Sorry. (laughs) I I wouldn't, but I'm just saying over the swing pass Uh, over. I don't want either of them. That's my, I don't want either of them. I would have been less mad. I would have been less mad. I still would have been mad. I would have been less mad. (laughs) (laughs) Pass three times. If you don't score, you take the field goal and you're at least get three points. And that could have been three important points since given that we lost by three. Uh, Right. So I think it was just very questionable um, to to say the least. And I just kind of said this with the first hires because the whole thing with Philongo was bringing the modified air raid kind of style offense and the whole premise behind the air raid is being able to get open space and open grass when you're in a red zone situation that is depleted and so it's much more difficult to establish that in a red zone like situation so i think too many times they try to do these kind of fancy plays or or things to the side to get the edge but give credit to virginia i think they have really good edge rushers because they were causing problems all night long not only pressuring sam which is Again, getting to our side of it, it's one thing that we absolutely could not do. Um, and so it created those situations. I think the other thing to mention a little bit before this, but it was a little bit more weird of a situation, um, is the fumble slash inadvertent whistle by the referees. Yeah. Um, where it, it, Sam goes down, the ball pops out. It's not immediately ruled a fumble. Sam picks it up and runs it in the end zone. And then while he's running it in, a whistle blows kind of like making sure everybody is aware that it's called dead. Then it's gets reviewed and says that it was a fumble, but I would think that since it was ruled a fumble, it refs technically can't blow the whistle. Therefore, Sam Howell picked it up and ran in the end zone. That should be a touchdown. But I think the rule was going to be that either he picked it up at the spot of the ball and then it would have still been fourth down, but then they ruled that it was an inadvertent whistle. So they even admitted fault and said, we're just going to give Carolina the down back. Is it bad that I was more pissed at the fact that they used some made up rule that says, my bad, we screwed up. Read, run it back. (laughs) I I mean, that that's the rule for an inadvertent whistle. It was just uh, the bonkers thing about that play 
is that it was ruled a fumble. Like they, like the, I think it was the back judge, not the back judge. It's, it was the, um, the center judge, like threw the bean bag. Yeah. Like that, when you throw the bean bag, that's a fumble. And there's still the, the whistle that was blown. I don't understand. And you're not supposed to blow the whistle there because you can call it back. You can't exactly on whistle. It's then, frustrating. But the following play, though, we get third down back and then run on third and semi long. And still a very uninspired play on not a short, third and short kind of situation. So, again, it's that it's that situational play calling in a red zone situation that is very concerning to say the least. At least for now. Like I said, when we're you, if you're giving Deami Brown one-on-one coverage in the open field, I'm, I feel good. But when you are under 20 yards and in these kind of situations, it's been time and time again over the past few seasons where we have missed out on a lot of opportunities on that. So not what we want to get into the, I'm not even trying to be like Panthers missed opportunities, just general. My thing, <laughs> David flipping off the camera, this is the audio medium. Um, one thing that I thought was funny about the broadcast is late in the game, Diami straight up mossed one of the corners of Virginia and the commentator said, I mean, the corner just can't, he can't let him have that. And I was like, do you think that defense was Diami letting him have that? Like, no, he went and took it. <laughs> there was no part of the defense letting him have that. It was just a better play. I thought that was funny. Um, I will reserve my Phil Longo comments until we talk about the, the direction as of the team going forward, because I am very proud of this analogy. <laughs> Um, the only other thing that I can remember being notable on offense was, um, Sam, like, what's the deal with Sam Howell not throwing the ball away? Like, what's his, what's his deal? Never say die. (laughs) Never say die. (laughs) Like he is funky to a fault. Like, I love the enthusiasm, buddy, but like, just live another day. Yeah. Because the one time he did it, it, it. Led to a fumble okay. and a UVA score. Yeah. So you I have think to get there, the ball out there. There is a balance that needs to be mean, maintained between being too skittish and holding onto the ball too long. Like you need to know when to throw the ball away, but you don't you can't be too willing to throw it away. But I think that Sam definitely holds onto the ball too long. Right. Yeah. I those mistakes, I was thinking about this in the shower the other day. The mistakes of like aggression, like trying to make something happen, I will always live with trying to make something happen because I feel like those are the mistakes that you can fix. I would be much more concerned if it was the other way where he was just like Aaron said, getting rid of the ball way too quickly. If he's trying to make something happen, for the most part, I can live with it um, because it has worked out for us. Um, CC the Boston College game at the end of that game, the, the touchdown that ended up being the, the game-winning touchdown there. So I, I will live with aggression being the problem, but it's definitely just because it's the quote-unquote good side of the problem is still a problem. Do we want to talk about special teams or defense first? Defense. Let's do defense first. Okay. Let's just run the gamut of crappy. (laughs) Okay. I am not an 
expert on run defense. I am I can I feel comfortable talking about pass defense. I am very uncomfortable talking about run defense, but what from what I could see our run fits, which is how the defense plugs gaps pre-snap and their responsibilities after the snap, our run fits against this offense seem to be the their fit wasn't fitting. <laughs> It seemed like we were out of position a lot, especially on on the QB runs, which is frustrating because we know Brennan Armstrong likes to run. So I just don't understand why. And like, 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 I'm not an expert on defenses. Like, I'm not going to say that I know everything or even a little bit, but like, why isn't that a situation where you can't stack the box and make them beat? What, what, wouldn't you rather Brennan Armstrong beat you with his arm than his legs? Like, why not stack the box and, and make them make them throw? Here's where I am on that. I think we blitzed entirely too much, especially because we weren't blitzing in a way where we were getting pressure up the middle mm-hmm. and then having the, the edges collapse in. I feel like he was able to get through the tackles very easily and get into the open field. My philosophy against a running quarterback is to zone up, keep an eye on him, rush for drop seven, and make him beat him with your arm. And I'm Brendan Armstrong did not have a good day through the air. He just didn't. So I, I'm confused as to why we did not zone up quicker. And I think to to really I think hone in on the, the key issue, and, and this is why I th- I was wondering because we blitz a whole lot. And that is something Jay Bateman has done consistently, especially this year. And I think it goes to the fact that our defensive line cannot create any pressure whatsoever. And so he tries to supplement that by bringing in the linebackers to also rush in to create that pressure. But where the angles are really not well, the tackling is not there. And even when we do bring the house, it seems these mobile quarterbacks are just absolutely shredding us and tearing us apart. So that is it's very frustrating to see. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we can, like I said, we'll get into that, but there, there's obviously some issues there. Um, I mean, it just shows, I mean, we have what a pretty young and I would say inexperienced line since we lost Strobridge and Aaron Crawford last year. We have Ray Bahasic, Tamon Fox, Tamari Fox, Tyrone Hopper on the outside, things like that. Very young teams, uh, young defensive linemen. It's just, it's not where it needs to be. Yeah, we're, we are also throwing a bunch of different types of fronts out there on the defensive line. Like we have four down linemen, we have three down linemen, we have two and two edges. Like they're, we're doing a lot of different stuff. We're showing the offense a lot of, showing our opposing offense is a lot of different looks and it's not really giving us different results. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing every time. Our DBs, I honestly think with the depth that we have at defensive back, are good enough for if we wanted to zone up. And like Chaz, I think, is decent in coverage. I think Gamble is also decent in coverage. If Even if we aren't good enough to create constant pressure with four, I think we'll be able to cover long enough that it's a problem even when we rush four, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I think we can get coverage shot coverage sacks yeah. if we drop people in the coverage but we 
again okay i'll save that but for yeah. for the the future problems again, <laughs> of this to, conversation but to say chaz has not played well to be quite honest in the past couple of weeks and we think of this one where they throw the swing pass to the outside and he just has a terrible angle and he's almost like parallel with the running back as he catches the ball and he's not, he has no chance and he just runs it all the way in for the score i mean i was just about to say the linebacker the linebackers as a whole had a t- had a terrible game, but I, I I haven't paid enough attention to Chaz recently to say to be bold enough to say that he hasn't played well the last couple of weeks. But I'll say that he definitely did not have his best game Saturday. I mean, he hasn't played well. Mav, you're right. He the angle that he took mm-hmm. against that pass was bad. bad. <laughs> it was a bad angle. I also think that he shouldn't have been put in that situation. I, it's it's the equivalent in basketball of when they swing the pass out to the three point line and you try to go for the steal and completely miss the ball and the dude's wide open for the three. Right. It's it's, it's the equivalent of that. So, my, it's like the the linebackers aren't playing well. We're not getting pressure up front. It's like there has to be a fix for that. Like they are talented linebackers. Like there, we have the talent on this team on defense. I don't understand what's not clicking. I think we need to pick our spots better and we can, you can blitz and also play zone at the same time. Zone blitzes are a thing. And I, one of the problems is when Chaz gets into the backfield, he's just straight up whiffing on the sack or on the tackle for the loss. I don't know how to fix that, but he's, getting there he's just not finishing the play i don't know how to fix that aaron you got you got any uh <laughs> you got any, any fixes do better do better <laughs> yeah no it was just incredibly frustrating we could not stop a i would say mediocre defense i, t- I think if you listen to any kind of inside carolina content i think taylor rip was kind of put it really in good perspective. It's like, do not go for the head fake here. Do not think that because they put up 44 points, that this is actually a good team that's better than the record. It's a less, that's a bottom half quarterback, um, a average kind of offense. And we made them look like they're the greatest show on turf. That's true. And also I feel like all the teams that they've lost to have been good teams. So are they better than their record? I don't know, but I, I also think that they had, their record we, that we had no business points. letting them score that amount of points and winning yes. this game. I, I absolutely agree. Sorry, David, I cut you off. No, it, no, it's cool. Um, I, I don't know what the fix is. I, is it Jay, is it Jay Bateman? Is it the, 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 the scheme? Is it people not on the defense, not, staying true to their assignments like I, I don't know what it is but to to have that have a total collapse on defense like we're going up against a Wake Forest team that beat they can mess us up <laughs> like this season is now in jeopardy like the expectations were high and I don't understand how we allow 38 rushing yards total against NC State the supposedly better team and then turn around and let them run a train <laughs> like you know like i realized that nc state's not the best team but at the same time neither is virginia so 
so let's but NC State's a rivalry game. It is a it just matters bad. more. Hey, this is the South's oldest rivalry. Okay. I mean, we have what four straight rivalry games? Like we have yeah. <laughs> NC State, then Virginia, then Duke, then Wake Forest. That's a and trust, I mean, those are those are emotional games. You have to be ready to go for each one of those. It, it definitely can be a, a roller coaster going to that four consecutive weeks. So there's definitely credit that. So let's just get out this out of the way. Special teams, Bad. god awful, <laughs> god awful. I saw a stat. It on. continues to be god awful, and it continues just to find ways to just be god awful. I saw a stat on Twitter that said that we are ninety nine out of 103 in efficiency on special teams. Oop, I can't hear you, Kobe. Now, I will say, Grayson Sorry. Atkins, I, I think he is getting better. He, he for The first two, he had a 51-yarder, which is like the longest field goal we've had since 2016. Uh, I think that's Nick Weiler, isn't it? It was Freeman Jones. Gotcha. Oh, uh, so I'm looking at SP Plus right now, and right now we are 13th in the country in SP Plus, which is like – um, kind of efficiency. It's a lot of math that I don't understand. But we are fifth in offense, forty-second in defense, which isn't good. It's not terrible either. We are eighty-seventh in special teams, eighty-seventh in the country in special teams. That's not out of how many? Um, what a hundred? I, I mean, or, not even the Pac-12 is not playing yet. Yeah, so that's like, why I'm asking. I don't know how many. <laughs> yeah, I think it was 103. Yeah, oh, 103. And we brought in our new special teams coordinator to fix things. Yep. And so that – and, again, I wonder if it's this thing where is this something that the coach can fix or if it's our personnel. But, we'll, we'll again, we're, we keep, we keep <laughs> wanting to get into this conversation. We're very well, much – Let's get into it because – Let's do it. Well, no. well, let's do one last thing because this is the most crucial special teams thing is the play that ultimately ended the game. Uh, we get a stop on UVA with about a minute and 40 left, and it's fourth down. They're basically in their own territory, roughly two or like right at midfield. And they're in punt formation, and we put out our special teams. They're not giving the ball back to Sam Howell, who's literally been torching them all night. They even identified the fact that they had the, the 99 – was in the play. He's probably going to get the ball. And we missed tackles, and they get the first down and effectively end the game. Yeah, that one was missed tackles because we shut it down play side. Like, here, if he was going to continue to go play side, it was shut down. But the backside was wide open. And part of the defending runs is defending the backside, and no one was there. Let's talk about the coaching. You seem like you have to say about this, so go for it. Yeah, I mean, my problem with this team is preparation. I feel like against every team, we come out unprepared. And, like, the coaches, I feel like it's really echoey in my room right now. So if it's, like, bouncing off the walls, we took everything off our walls um, before we moved. (laughs) So I can just hear it echoing, and I'm also talking very loud. Sorry. But I feel like every team gets to jump on us before, like, at the beginning of the game. And our coaches do a good job of making adjustments, and that is why we come back in the third and fourth quarters of every game. But why can't we do that the entire game? We should have known that Virginia was going to try to run Brandon Armstrong and just run us to death because he can't throw that well. Straight up, he can't throw that well. But the preparation is bad. Let's talk about Phil Longo. I said this in a group message, and I was very proud of this. (laughs) Um, 
I said that Phil Longo is the James Winston of offensive coordinators. He can definitely win you a game. In this game, his offense put up 41 points. But also, you have the back-breaking decisions that just take literally take points off the board. We could have had three points that would have got us at least tied. We may have gotten a touchdown, but that swing pass, I don't care what anybody saw there. It was a bad play call. You have to put the ball in the end zone. You have to throw the ball into the end zone. And those types of play calls, even if he calls a perfect rest of the game, those sorts of things are not the sorts of things that can that you can survive if it's a close game. Jay Bateman, I thought last year had a great year. This year, I think he's regressed. I don't know what changed, but he is this. I don't understand his insistence on playing a man defense. Our, our pressure right now is not good enough to be able to get to the quarterback with four. If you have to, if you have to blitz, blitz but don't send everybody at the quarterback with their backs turned you have to have somebody looking at the quarterback because we even made Phil Jerkovic look like freaking Michael Vick out there (laughs) like it has to be better special teams I don't know enough about special teams to yell about it but (laughs) it needs to be better than it is so I think I definitely think Jay's probably going to be the one taking the most kind of complaints and criticism, at least for this game. I would because Javon or Coach DeWitt in special teams, at least they've it's been consistently bad. Um, at least so, we know it's gonna happen. <laughs> I haven't seen Jay Bateman get that much criticism on like it's been Phil Longo and it's been it's it's been DeWitt. I have not seen Jay Bateman get as much crap online. And maybe that's and, just me. I yeah. haven't seen it come across my feed. And so one thing I wanted to bring up because I wanted to say something like kind of citing one of my favorite pundits for Inside Carolina, Tommy Ashley. They were talking about the game. And it seems as though, according to how he put it, where it goes into the preparation idea, where it seems like the coordinators are putting these guys in situations where they have to be perfect. They can't, like, because of the mistakes that are being made. They and They're putting them in these positions where they have to play perfect or they are going to lose. And that's going to, for a team in this state that's still developing and still on the rise, that, that's going to lose games. Y'all know where we were two seasons ago? Do you remember where we were two seasons ago? What was it? What was our record? It was what? The two and nine? Two and nine? Two and nine? year before that? I think it's the same, right? It was closer. Or maybe it was three and maybe it was three and eight or something. But we're only two or three seasons removed from that. Like the, the margin of error is still thin. We haven't had four, five, six great recruiting classes come in. Like we have one coming in next year, but we don't have that. Like we don't have the talent and we don't have the, the margin of error that's wide enough for like a yeah. team like Alabama or yeah. Clemson or, or Oklahoma. Like we don't have that, that, that luxury of – saying mm, we can take our foot off the gas for a little while and, and our talent will just, we can just cruise through this. Absolutely. But, but David, I'm going to push back on that because what team have we played that we aren't more talented than this season? 
we are more talented than Virginia. We're more talented than Florida State. We're more talented than Syracuse. We're more talented than... I will push back on that. I don't think we are more talented than Florida State. They do have a treasure trove of four- and five-star players that just weren't playing because they were under the new system with three head coaches in three years virtually. So I I do think they are a more talented team and they're a longer team, a more athletic team. Uh, I will at least say that, but I don't think – I think – to your, we definitely are more talented than UVA, in my opinion. And I'll, I'll say, like, to that point, like, we are more talented than them. But, like, when there, there's a difference between, like, the talent, like, you ha- you're set your talent here and they're, like, right here versus, like, where Clemson is, where the talent gap is ginormous, yeah. you know, and the, this is the margin of error. And even though we're more talented, those backbreaking mistakes become even more backbreaking when mm-hmm. your talent gap is smaller. And I think – we were probably all in agreement, and this was kind of the big thing too, I think on Twitter is that regardless of how bad they play, I think it's, it's hard to ever put the players at the top of the totem pole because at the end of the day, it's the coach's responsibility to put them in positions for success and to win. Um, they are, they're humans. They are 18, 19, 20 year old kids that are going to make mistakes and they're imperfect. Um, like why is, at the why same time, why is Tony fielding a fielding punts when Daz Newsom's been doing it all game? Mm-hmm. Why is that's not Tony Gross' fault? Why is he out there? Like he's not making that call. <laughs> like, but at the same time, it, the the idea is is that is to what you're saying. We're still in this kind of developing process where we only have a, a one solid class that is purely Mac Brown recruiting because when Mac first got hired, eighty percent of that class minus Sam Howell was Larry Fedora recruits. And so it's going to take a while for, and I don't want to discredit that just by saying that because it was Larry Fedora recruits that that makes them any less talented or, or have any less potential. But I think there is a very clear difference when you look at rankings and what kind of talent we were going after, or at least being successful going after compared to what we are getting now with Mac. And so it's going to take time for those players to matriculate and for to get into the system that Mac Brown is wanting to put in place. So I do want to try to give that at least the benefit of the doubt that I think these the expectations that we've all put on it, and that's kind of what I want to go into next, is we've all ate up the expectations we can say we didn't or say that we've all tempered our expectations or refused to have hope. But at the start of the season and since spring, we're all like, we are potentially in contention for ACC championship for the playoff, New Year's six ball, you name it. And we're getting shot to the moon. And I think it's just too high for being a team two, three years removed from having only win five to combine games in two seasons. It's, I mean, maybe, but I mean, let's let's break down the tiers of the ACC right now. At the top, there's Clemson. No one else up there. Under that, there's Notre Dame, Miami. Are we in that tier, or are we a tier under? I don't know. I feel like we're a tier under. Tier uh, two weeks ago, we were in that tier. Right now, we are the tier below. Firmly at the tier below. Which is frustrating because. It, it, like even despite all this, I, I still feel like we can we could beat Miami. We can beat 
Wait, like we could beat Wake Forest. We can beat Duke. Like, and we could. I think we can beat Wake Forest and Duke. I don't know if we can beat Miami. <laughs> I still think we can. I still think like you have one of those get those games where everything clicks and like you play a little out of body. Like something happens. Like this team could do it. But man, is it more demoralizing when you've lost to two one and two two one win yeah. team? Yeah. Or you you've uh, lost one win teams. And so, like I so said, we need to go ahead. Any hopes, in my opinion, of making the ACC championship are officially out the window. There would have to be a lot of chaos happen for us to even have a chance because I well, think Notre, one, Dame. Notre Dame or Miami's although that most certainly going to take one loss at this point. Miami already, probably already took theirs because they've already played Clemson. And Notre Dame might take theirs if they play Clemson, but that remains to be seen because Trevor Lawrence is not playing next week. Right. Um, so that, that remains to be seen. I think we would have to really cheer for Notre Dame going into next week to at least have some type of a chance. But um, so honestly, I'm at a place right now. Um, I think it's almost kind of like a little bit relieving. Say I'm done having expectations. Uh, we are nothing more than a good team with a great with a good offense, some good coordinators and some good talent. And we're not anywhere near what we expect to be uh, for some time. And so I'm going to do my best to not have those kind of expectations until we literally achieve what we're expected to do. I mean, I'm fine with that. I mean, that's where I am with the Panthers. <laughs> like there I'm every win is good for morale. And as much as I like to take the emotionality out of sports, I do think that, knowing how to win and winning games is important for a team to learn how to win games. Winning games is great. Take the losses as a learning experience. That's about where I am with this team. Mac Brown has still yet to lose a game by more than seven points. We lost eight games in two years by a combined total of 32 points. And that's that's from David Hale on Twitter. Yeah. you know that when when you win, it you don't get to criticize the coaches. So, <laughs> do you want to get win. into your, your little stat with with <laughs> with uh, inside? All I'm gonna say is Ross Martin. That was a putrid take, a putrid <laughs> take. And also, only my mother gets to use my full name. So screw you, real goose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm going to – do I want to do this? Yes, I'm going to do this. I think we're going to give Duke the business next week. Uh, they are not as good as Virginia. Um, Who they beat up on Syracuse? Who they beat up on this past week? Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, they beat up on Charlotte this week. Um, I'm not sure who's going to be at quarterback because Chase Bryce is bad. <laughs> um I, I do think it will – I don't know if you want to call it a get-right game. I don't know what that looks like. I thought NC State was a get-right game. Apparently it wasn't. But we'll, we'll see what comes in the coming weeks. But I do think we're going to beat Duke by a by a margin like we did with NC State. Which, like we've talked about with certain other teams in college football, winning rivalry games is important. I'd really like to keep the bell. So. We don't want to be Michigan. We don't want to be Michigan. Good <laughs> Lord. Do we want to talk about them? Are we done with UNC? Uh, I don't want to talk about us anymore. I don't either. We can talk about Michigan. Well, okay, wait, 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 wait. Before we get on to Michigan, there's one coach that we did not talk about. 
we did not talk about Mac Brown. <laughs> at what, what point? At what point? Because I, I can trash Phil Longo. I can trash Jay Bateman. I can trash our, our special teams coordinator, our quarterbacks. I can trash whoever. But I feel like Mac Brown, like, kind of has, like, we talked about how he has lost, hasn't lost a game more than seven. But, like, at what point does Mac Brown begin to take accountability for how things are looking as far as, like, on, on the deep, like some of this play calling on the defensive end, like obviously he can't be happy with it, but at what point does it start to become uh, less of a coordinator thing and more of a Mac Brown? Like what, why aren't you, why haven't, hasn't this been fixed kind of conversation? I don't think that he doesn't know what's happening. I think he or- sees what's happening on the field, but just because I remember last year, I think it was at Virginia tech where we, like we called a draw on third and eight and he looked at Phil Longo. He's like, what the F was that? I'm not going to insult Mac Brown's intelligence or football savvy to to say that he doesn't know what's going on. I'm just saying like, at what point does it now become less of a coordinator issue and more of a like, like Mac Brown, like what the hell? (laughs) But uh, but I say that because I think he, he sees what's happening. I think we, we need a little more time to see how all this bears out. I think next year, cause this year is, as much as we're taking it seriously, it's kind of a let's see what happens kind of year. I think next year is a real barometer for who this team is. And more than next year, I think if we're really playing the long game, we're a year away from being a year away from being a year away. <laughs> <laughs> I think when like next year's class is like sophomores and juniors, that's when we should be like, okay, is it natty time? <laughs> Uh, I think it's still a little early for that, so I don't know. I wasn't saying, like, come for Mac Brown's job, like, hot seat no, time. I know. I'm not saying all that, but, know. you know, like, you know, like, I, I see a lot of the coordinators getting criticism, but, like, you know, Mac Brown, it's, like, at some point, Mac Brown's got to, like, say, like, I got to take the reins here. Like, what is happening? <laughs> so, but anyway, we can talk about not – let's talk about Michigan. Aaron, talk about Michigan. <laughs> so, I uh, I don't know. I just think it's interesting because I don't remember which one of y'all brought it up, but I've also heard my friends who root for Michigan bring up like (laughs) if they need to give up on Harbaugh and I've heard Michigan fans be conflicted about it. And I think it's a hard decision because like, yeah, like it's clear that he, I mean, well, it seems like he's not going to get them over the hump, but are they going to get someone better than Jim Harbaugh? I mean, I threw a wild name out there for better than Jim Harbaugh. Mike Leach. <laughs> Mike Leach. All right. I did not say Mike Leach. I said Dave Clawson. Yes, but, um, that's a great question, Aaron. Like what, if you move on from Harbaugh, who is on one of those, like, I think the last time I, or at least I, in my head is like one of those quote unquote lifetime contracts where. Yeah. I don't know if he is officially, but like it's, I know that they've thought talked about it. Yeah, it's like the um, he has the job for life if he wants it. If he wants it, for now he has yeah. a job if he wants it. But Mav talked about it in the group message losing to rivals matters. <laughs> okay, yes, that's true. Like, but like it, the the bar the goal the bar should be different when one of your rivals is Ohio State. At the same time, though, it it still it is. I don't think you can understate the importance of it. Like. Uh, let me ask y'all, would you rather cheer for a team that goes 10 and two every it's a consistent 10 and two team, but those two losses come to your two biggest rivals, or would you rather be a 
teetering on the bowl eligibility. You're you're anywhere from six, uh, five to seven win teams, but though you do beat your rival every single year. That's a tough question. That's a tough question. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't that's know if hard, I can give well, you a ready question, a ready answer for that. I feel like that's a loaded question because that's not considering the possibility that like the 10 and two team could be in bowl in playoff contention. That's exactly what I was thinking. It was like, if NC state is ruining our chances for a national championship every year, I will not accept that. <laughs> but it's so like I said, wait, cause our, our whole thing is like in the years where we were just kind of in that place. I think a lot of us would say that because when we lower the expectations and we don't care about going to the playoff or everything like that, our whole idea was, let's just can we if we can just beat at least one of Duke or State, and then also or let alone win both of them. It's it's a positive year. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me say this: Are we the Ohio State football to NC State's basketball? Like, is Carolina basketball the Ohio State football for? I'm saying should NC State fire Kevin Keese if they can never yeah. us? Like, that's, that's the same question, right? Oh, I mean, no. effectively. It's frozen. <laughs> but but that, I, I feel like that's the same question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the exact point that I was going to bring up, Colby. Like, I, I think that Michigan is better than NC State in that analogy, but Ohio State is better than us in that analogy like yeah you can't regularly expect like unless you are also consistently a top five team you can't regularly expect to beat ohio state in football i right regularly expect yeah like uh, uh one of the like something weird will happen in Wisconsin or Penn State will will jump up in Indiana. Um, six one Indiana will jump up in <laughs> good Ohio State, but it's not going to happen year in year out. Yeah, and, and to be fair, they have only won once since the year two thousand, if I remember correctly, against Ohio State. Um, Yikes! Yeah, so like it, it's bad, <laughs> but like let me let me check on that i know that at least in recent memory the only year that they've beaten ohio state was 2011 um so i mean i I guess it could be a thing where maybe the rivalry is kind of definitely losing its value i would say because it's becoming a little bit more one-sided i I would say that like but jim harbaugh has not beaten ohio state yeah since he's been there and that's he's basically been, your... he's beaten Michigan State once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, the Michigan since two since two thousand has won three times. Yeah. So the, um, but to well, be fair, in so my opinion, the past two years Ohio State did beat the brakes off Michigan, but the two years before that the game was close. Like the game is a one has been a one possession game since. Since 2011, the game has been a one-possession game uh, four times, and it's been a two-possession game another two times. So, like, it's been a close game the majority of the time. It's not like Michigan's always getting run out of the building. Yeah, I still don't think it matters because 
I'm thinking about like if you're in the first scenario where you're a 10 and two team consistently, but the two losses always come to your, your biggest rivals and opponents. One, you're, you're doing really good, but still not good enough to be probably in solid playoff contention. And then you can't even have any real bragging rights when it truly matters. Cause who cares about when you're playing like Northwestern or something like that, where it doesn't even really matter. So you're not even able to say that you're even really that good quite honestly, despite the win total, because you can't beat the teams that you really want to beat and you can't get to the level where you're winning championships, where it doesn't matter if you beat them or not. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's the difference where basketball comes in because it just comes to the difference that there is a lot more basketball games to be played where one game, the Duke game doesn't determine our eligibility to go to the NCAA tournament where it definitely does when Michigan plays Ohio state. That's fair. But I'm looking at Michigan's season by season and since Harbaugh has become the coach. So since Lloyd Carr retired after the 2007 season, they went in seven years before they hired Harbaugh. They had one 10 win season since Harbaugh's gotten hired. They had, they've had three 10 win seasons, a nine win season and an eight win season. They've had two New Year's Six Bowl appearances as well as two Citrus Bowl appearances and an Outback Bowl appearance. So they've played on January 1st, or I guess on January 1st or in a New Year's Six Bowl game every year since Harbaugh's come back. That's, I mean, it's impressive. It's, it's hard to do in any Power 5 conference, but he's not being his rivals. I don't yeah. know how much that burns up Michigan boosters. I think that's the thing. How much do Michigan boosters care about beating Ohio State and beating Michigan State? I feel like they care a lot. If it, if, if it were me, I'd care a lot about that. So It's a very interesting conversation. I think Carolina has certainly had those conversations in other years too, where I think in our John Bunting years, he was a type of coach. He would get up for – you know, the, the, not necessarily the rival games uh, and we could win those, but then it would come to time to play state and Duke and it didn't seem to matter. And then you get to someone like Mac Brown who definitely does, I would say take at least takes the, the rivalry game seriously and does a fairly good job, particularly against state and Duke, but we lose to your Miami's, your Florida States, the, the bigger name teams, I would say. So it's 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 complicated stuff. I don't know. Oh no. <laughs> I don't think there's a right answer. I just feel like I think it's a valid point, but I just don't see Michigan getting a better coach than Harbaugh. Or a coach I, I, that doesn't have any higher aspiration than Harbaugh. I also think the issue here, and we talked about this also in the group messages how much money do Michigan boosters have right now to fire Jim Harbaugh? I'm not sure what his buyout is. I imagine it's a lot of money. Aaron, you said that they they got it if they want to do it. So let me look at his contract information. His comp- his compensation package totals just eight million in 2020, but it isn't all salary. Just. He also has all he also has a life insurance policy as part of the deal. The buyout is probably, it's not confirmed, but it is around 10 million is what uh, estimates are at. 
I feel like boosters could come up with 10 billion or not 10 billion. 10, 10 billion. Million. 10 Damn, billion. They're really paying Jim Harbaugh a lot. Billion of money. dollars. <laughs> no, they could come up with 10 million if they wanted to. I feel I feel like if uh, they definitely but, could. Michigan is like up there in football money with any other school. If Wake Forest can get rid of Danny Manning, then Michigan football can get rid of <laughs> Jim Harbaugh. If, if you don't think that to. they have that money, then you're seriously underestimating it. Michigan's football prestige. Yeah, I've seen donors. them do wild things with their money just from like shut down full cast donation drives where it's just Michigan all over the board. Yeah, they got a lot of money up there. Do we even want to talk about any more sports? Because I don't particularly want to talk about the NFL. Yeah, this week, we, besides no. that one fight with uh, the Bears and the Saints. Yeah, it was just not a great week for sports overall. It was bad. Titans bad. Sports are bad. Titans Life bad. Wait, did, did the Browns lose? Uh, the game was too windy. They canceled it. Hey, <laughs> Aaron, you're probably going to beat us in a couple weeks. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If our defense keeps playing like our defense, then I think that the Solon Comets could beat the Browns. I don't think that's true, Mav. I feel like the the Titans... To- Toxic Titans Twitter was in full force today. This was the game <laughs> Toxic Titans Twitter has been looking for for a while now because it's just gone scorched earth. Today. I've always been interested in other teams' Twitters. Like I've, I'm pretty deep into Panthers Twitter and UNC Twitter. So I'm in always interested. We, in that. We, the Brown Titans Twitter definitely has some. You know who you're talking. Who I'm talking about? Some. If you say a single negative thing about the Titans, then you're a fake fan and you need to stop. And that annoys the living hell out of me. Whoa! I, I saw that fight on Twitter. Wait, you just now saw it? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. <laughs> he that the, chain. He grabbed the chain and then just started punching it. <laughs> okay, so. I did some research because I have been obsessed with this thing since it happened. What had happened was, is um, twos on the saints, the play before ripped his ripped um, whims mouthpiece off of his face mask and threw it on the ground. So the next play whims went up to 22 ripped his mouthpiece off of his, (laughs) off of his face mask and hit him. 22 looked around like what just happened looked at the ref he got the flag and then whips just started going at him it's my favorite thing that happened this week and i love it so much he got his money's worth like hey you're gonna get the flag you might as well swing it (laughs) if he's not gonna swing again you might as well double dip on him (laughs) that's the only that's the only nfl thing i want to talk about this week there is some content to talk about. The Chargers are the Chargers are tragic, man. Different quarterbacks, same crap. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Justin Herbert has been playing great. Justin Herbert's good. Joe Burrow is good. Anyway, do we want to talk Mandalorian? Because I know David and Aaron haven't seen. So we have watched. I have. If you want, we can we can like like. Plug our ears. Mute the Here, we can do a fully non-spoiler if you want. Okay. Sure. sure. Um, I'm a Timothy Oliphant fan. 
Oh, yeah. I like him. I don't think I can't think of something I've seen him in or I haven't liked him. I think this is my second favorite Timothy Oliphant like cameo behind the good place where he was hilarious. But he just has the great, like grizzled, old, great he's not that old, but like well, grizzled, gray haired dude that just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> I just feel like he fits so well in this because I think from day one, John Favreau has wanted the Mandalorian to be a Western like it's it's true Star Wars Western type of production. I mean, I think it evokes it so many different times. There are so many motifs that, that go with like Western kind of films and Western shows. With this, it's it's absolutely um, it's so many times that they had it was prevalent at least in this first episode, and I think in the first season as well. And so I think Timothy fits that because he's played in shows like that. There was that uh, show Justified. I, I, I'll never forget those commercials when they came out with him on where he was just like that, like you were saying, the grizzled country guy that was like a sheriff and stuff like that. And uh, then we have Dead, he was what, in Deadwood too, which is another Western style film. So I think he fits this kind of theme a lot when it comes to it. Um, I, w- I think the good thing is, I don't, uh, Baby Yoda still is has some important uh, screen time. But I don't think they've overdone it as well, which I still think is a good thing. I would uh, like to see the baby. <laughs> <Z-baby>. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I think the episode was absolutely fantastic. Um, I think the big thing that a lot of people will talk about is there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of Easter eggs. I won't go into detail about them. I'll let you find them on your own. So we'll talk keep, about them later. Keep keep the eyes open because there is a lot of things that you can catch very quickly in this. And you go into the sequel trilogy and you get into episode nine. Just I would say the entire trilogy where it's just vomit of so much lore and Easter eggs and all this stuff. And so some people really like that. Some people really hate it. I think I do really like it just because I think it's a big payoff for hardcore Star Wars fans that it's a sort of thing where most of the time it's things where to someone that's really not paying attention to it, it it's not going to affect their overall experience. But to someone that's a hardcore fan that knows things and such, it's a big payoff to see those screens. And the big thing for me is it's there's a lot of weaving together now of all types of canon go from the films to the shows, to the books, to the comics, to everything, to the video games, even. Um, and putting it all together. And I think the big thing for my personal headcanon is taking those secondary sources and putting them on a live screen. I think that's big for me. I think that of all the Star Wars properties that I've seen, which I think I've seen, I've seen more than like the average person, but not nearly as much as Mav has. I think The Mandalorian does lore very well. It's not anything that you will you don't feel left out if you don't get it. I think even with the uh Aaron, take your headphones off for like five seconds. Hold on. I think you no, you're fine, David. Even oh. with like the dark saber at the end oh. of the first season, um, I think that's fine. I, I think you will get it even if you haven't ever seen that before. I haven't seen that before, but I I don't think that you feel left out because of that. And exactly my point, like I said, people who they will see the things, 
and they'll just see them. It's like, oh, that looks cool. Then they don't necessarily have to know the significance of it um, to know to for it to be a payoff. But I think um, they're in. There's a particular person that's in that's very prominent in this show that came from a book, and so there was a, people that read that book are like, oh my gosh, this person. I can I get this finally see this person in live action. Uh, it's it's very exciting to see. And so there's things like that. I won't, and it's not who you think it is, uh, by the way. Well, I mean, like once we get caught up, I'm sure we'll start getting into spoilery stuff. And I do, I do appreciate the Mandalorian, like doing the, the weekly releases. Um, I do think personally, I enjoy it just like more than like binging. Like I have something to look uh, like, I don't know about that. So, I think I have a different perspective because I so I watched the pilot a year ago when it came out and then I forgot that it existed and I watched episodes two through eight yesterday and today um, and I don't know how much I would have liked it if it wasn't all at once I think because I think Colby said it earlier it's like the monster of the week and like I felt like until like episode five or six like I just didn't really get much of anything happening plot wise like it just felt like they were just things happening and i think maybe it'll be better in season two because now we have like an idea Mm. but i think that if season one was weekly i would have lost interest because i wouldn't have been following it and then i think that's been one of the main conversations with this and uh, i'm citing another pundit now that i really like christian harloff he has a show on YouTube right now. If you're all aware of the movie Trivia Smowdown, he founded that, um, where he's talking about he is strong. Due to the Mandalorian, he is strongly of the mindset that Star Wars is totally fine if it never touches the silver screen ever again, and that it goes strictly to shows because the the galaxy and the, the lore and the universe is so large and expansive that it's so difficult to be put into the frame of a two hour and 15 minute movie. I don't know. We, and we saw that in episode nine. I think if, if any criticisms about episode nine, I think that it fit way entirely too much into a two hour and 15 minute experience where if you take something like Mandalorian, it effectively becomes a 10 hour movie and it's able to flesh stuff out on the other side of that. And to your point, there is a lot of filler. And that was one of yeah. my criticisms of Star Wars, the Clone Wars, where there's maybe five to 10 episodes in a season that have true, I would say, plot significance. The others are truly like episodic, where there is a problem and a solution by the end of the 20 minute episode. What's the, is it? Anthology? I, is it like an anthology episode? Is that maybe what that, yeah, that might be a better way to put it. Uh, kind of like Black or, Mirror, where they're all like separate, quote, like separate from each other. It's, it's not like, quite an anthology, but it's not as serialized as something like Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay. Yeah. And I think I, that might be a thing about this one. It's it's the longest one yet. It was 52 minutes long. I think the other ones were hovering in the 35 to 40. Yeah, minutes. it was like 36 or 37 minutes when credits hit, I think. Um, I, I don't know if it's sustainable in the same style on TV. I think that in a different style, they could definitely make TV work. Maybe that's just my preference, but I feel like it doesn't work as well in TV as it does in movies. Maybe because it's there's so much filler. Yeah. I just think in today's age, 
I think it's better because that was George Lucas's original intention was to make it serialized television. Mm -hmm. And, but it, it, but I think in the seventies, I think it was definitely the right choice to put it on the silver screen and put it in theaters. Um, but now when you get to the, the culture that we have, that just truly loves to dive into these universes and, and go to all the different corners of the universe. I think it can be more easily expanded in two shows but again it, i think there is also a point where it definitely needs to have a strong storyline yeah such and i think, I think that, that, that I with think this, the filler needs to be story-based in my opinion because yeah. otherwise it just feels like stuff is happening for the sake of happening mm -hmm. I, but i think this first episode does good i would say off first glance and off first reaction, I think you'll probably say this is very much a filler type of episode. Mm -hmm. But there are certain elements, particularly the very end of the episode, that definitely sets up things for later on in the season. So I do encourage you to watch it all the way through. For me, I think it's a good reintroduction to the world of Star Wars that we haven't seen in about a year. So. Mm -hmm. I have one more thing as my computer is dying um, that I want to talk about. I have started a project, <laughs> the dumbest project. I haven't, I don't think I've told y'all about this. The dumbest project that I could, and it's going to end up on pop culture eventually. Um, but I have decided that I am going to watch every family Christmas movie from the Oddies and power rank them. <laughs> oh wow the the way this it's jingle all the way there jingle all the way when did jingle all the way come out it's like it has to be like a 1995 to 2000 era like 93 i think 93 to 96 then no it is it's not got, 1996 it's got schwarzenegger and anakin so <laughs> anakin i the movies all come out between 2000 and 2009 they are oh. pg-13 or lower and they do not have sex scenes and they are all theatrically released those are my criteria for these movies i am watching them and i am power ranking them the way i came up with this is me and my friend and co-host martha for a different part podcast we're like we should all watch. We should watch the Santa Claus movies and review the <laughs> review the Santa Claus trilogy cinematic universe. Now, oh, so does that count? Because Santa Claus was like nineteen ninety three. Was it was not? It does not count. I am watching Santa Claus two and three, but I am not watching Santa Claus two and three. Movies. Definitely are within. But. The movies I am watching are. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Family Man, starring Nick Cage, uh, The Santa Claus 2, Elf, Christmas with the Cranks, Polar Express, Santa Claus 3, Unaccompanied Minors, Deck the Halls, Fred Claus, The Perfect Holiday, and The Christmas Carol are the movies I'm watching. And I have watched two of them so far. And I'm excited to see where this journey takes me. <laughs> I have seen... The Perfect Holiday, which is a Queen Latifah, Terrence Howard, uh, Morris Chestnut, Gabrielle Union movie. And I watched Unaccompanied Minors today, um, which is a Paul Feig movie before Bridesmaids. Um, I don't yeah, know. I remember I'm... Unaccompanied Minors getting released, and I think that it looked awful. I saw it in theaters when I was a kid. And I liked it a lot when I was a kid and I watched it again today and I still think it's a pretty good movie. Um, 
But you're going to have to wait for my blog to come out to see what I rated it and where it ends up on the scale. I also don't know where it ends up in the power ranking because I haven't watched all the movies yet. But um, Unaccompanied Minors was a, a fun one to rewatch. But that's something I'm working on. I'm excited for me to finish and figure out where I where all this stuff ends up. But I all I remember from this is A Christmas Carol is Nightmare Fuel and Polar Express is also kind of Nightmare Fuel. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is Nightmare Fuel. I saw Polar Express twice in theaters. Once I paid for it the second time I was on a field trip at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Science um, in Raleigh when Raleigh. I was in fourth yeah. grade or fifth grade. And we saw it on like the gigantic, like domed IMAX theater. And it was even more terrifying um, <laughs> on that gigantic screen. Um, and that was also when I at the museum around then when that came out. So I was also scared of that movie. So it was a fun <laughs> night for fun night for 10 year old, nine year old Colby. Um, but yeah. That's something I'm working on. If anything interesting happens, I'll let you know in the coming weeks. But all right. My computer is at 3%. Is there anything else we need to talk about? Nope. Nope. Cool. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Never Made Varsity. And we will talk to y'all next week. Hi, y'all. This is the way. <laughs>